gentlemen and other fellow humans, welcome back to Discovery Debrief, a podcast setting a course to discuss the future of the final frontier in Star Trek Strange New Worlds, Discovery, Lower Decks, and more. I'm co-host Chris Clow, and I'm joined by one other member of our bold panels of Star Trek franchise explorers, the unfathomable and the unprosecutable Cicero Holmes. I am who I say I'm going to be, and that's all I can be. Excellent. Perfect. Uh, Well, um, we might be joined by Rachel later in the recording. I'm not totally sure. But we have a a special guest for this episode. I'm very pleased to welcome him. He's a friend people may have seen on the comic show I co-host with Paul Herman, The Comic Binge, as well as a contributor to Batman on Film, Mild Stomping Grounds, and the host of his own new YouTube series, Up to Speed with Wally West, Mr. Javi Trujillo. Javi, how you doing? Good, man. Risk is our business. So (laughs) I'm a little nervous about doing my first Trek podcast, but uh, I've been a longtime listener of this show and, and I'm excited to be here and talk uh, some strange new worlds. Oh, we're excited to have you and be still my heart. You pulled a great TOS quote to to start your time (laughs) on, on discovery debrief. So, uh, you know, I think it, it, uh, would benefit the rest of our audience. You know, you said this is your first time podcasting about star Trek. Well, tell us about yourself as a Star Trek fan and your choices for favorite episode, movie, or other, you know, uh, examples from the franchise that really strike a chord with you. I don't remember my first Trek experience. I remember being little and it being on TV and reruns all the time. Uh, my vintage is 1977. So like it was, uh, it was an interesting time to be, to grow up in that because Trek was on all the time, but it, it was canceled other than the occasional movie. And I remember being both fascinated and terrified of Star Trek. Like it would depend on the episode, uh, things like Miri or Return of the Archons, like scared the hell out of me as a kid. And now those are some of my favorite episodes. Um, Back before I knew what like a panic attack was, uh, my parents took me to see Wrath of Khan uh, the summer of 82, and they promised me like a Mego motion picture Admiral Kirk figure if I could sit through it. And our neighbor had freaked me out about the ear wigs. And so we got inside the theater and I freaked out and we had to get our money back and leave. So I didn't get to see Wrath of Khan in cinemas until some re-release in the late nineties at a local revival theater and the print was all damaged in magenta from time. And, uh, yeah. So, uh, I've been on and off, like terrified and fascinated by star Trek, but like, I still persisted and, uh, you know, strong memories of seeing search for Spock in, in the theater and, uh, voyage home. And then was there opening day for the final frontier and, took the day off from school to see the first screening of undiscovered country, which is my favorite Trek movie. So oh, I, I love so Wrath of Khan, but I, I appreciate the updates to the technology, both in the filmmaking side and in the, the, you know, the look of it itself. And I know it was just a remarkable movie. Although first contact is probably the one I've seen the most in cinemas. I think I saw it three or four times the first 24 hours it was out there 
because Why? various people had bu- like bought tickets. For, I had to see it with my work friends and I had to see it with my high school friends. And then my sister, uh, her friend was really into Trek to where her cat's name was data spot. She bought tickets for us to go see it too. So I wound up seeing it three times in 24 hours, but, uh, Man. so yeah, a long time fan, I would say favorite episode. It's kind of a weird one. Cause I feel like, I'm betraying some intellectual trust, but I've always liked a piece of the action because of the weird, you know, just the, the comedy of it, the gangsters. I mean, who doesn't love like Kirk and Spock and like fedoras and pinstripe suits and just Shatner is so amazing in that. Um, But if I had to pick like a safer episode, probably Darmok from Mm. TNG, just, that came out when I was in like early high school, maybe. And the fact that, you know, I would went on to read uh, Gilgamesh, you know, it wasn't for an assignment at school. Like I just wanted to read that story because it was in that episode. So those are some of my, my favorites, you know, from both ends of the spectrum. Oh, that's, uh, that's great. So, uh, you know, obviously this show came into existence with the the newer era of the franchise how would you say your uh fandom has progressed let's say since 2009 really since you know star trek was cool for about 20 minutes in the summer of 2009 yeah uh i had fallen it's weird to say like i fell out of love with star trek because i still loved it but like when generations came out, I, you know, was at like my senior year of high school and like they killed captain Kirk. So I was, I kind of pieced out a little bit. Like I watched a little bit of deep space nine, but I'm like, this isn't the enterprise. And, mm-hmm. and I, I just was busy with like high school and college stuff. And then when Voyager came on, I'm like, Oh, it's on a ship. I'll give it a try. And I watched the pilot and maybe the next episode. And then, pieced out of that until the finale it was actually enterprise that got me excited again because we had the um the motion picture picture director's cut that two disc dvd set had just come out and that had a lot of promo stuff on it for enterprise and i knew scott bacula and and i was at that point where i was ready to be a fan again and embracing how much i loved star trek so Enterprise got me back in, and it helped to have those those two disc DVD special editions that they were making. Um, yeah. And then, of course, things kind of cooled off after Enterprise got canceled. Um, and I was very trepidatious about the 09 movie because it, Star Trek at that point was one of those things where, like, no one was really recast. Like, you went forward in the timeline, you went back in the timeline, but like, no one tried to redo that era. Like, that just seemed like an outrageous thing to do. Why would you mess with that? Like those people are those people. Like we saw them age. Um, so it took me two or three viewings to finally embrace it. And it was helped by Michael Giacchino's score really got me into it and wanting to go back and the respect they had for those characters, uh, into darkness. I loved the first time I watched it. And then the second time I was like, what was I thinking? And I, and I loved beyond, uh, easily that one is my favorite of the three Kelvin universes. 
And then when Discovery came back or came on, I missed it. I mean, I saw the premiere when it aired on CBS, uh, but I waited for the Blu-ray box set because I didn't want to like pay for Star Trek. Like other than the movies, like Star Trek's been free my entire life. Sure. But uh, so I missed a lot of the online chatter. I knew it was there. I knew people had complaints about the Klingons and how the crew didn't act like they were in the Federation, especially Captain Lorca. But watching it, you know, binging it on Blu-ray, Steelbook Blu-ray, I might add, uh, you know, two episodes a night for five nights. Like I, I really enjoyed it. And my fiance, who was not into Star Trek, has now seen the original series, The Next Generation. Uh, we've started Deep Space Nine together. And then, of course, Disco and Picard and Strange New Worlds. And she's a huge Anthony Rapp fan. So that was easy for uh-huh. me to get her to watch Discovery. Uh, really? So that this is definitely her end point. And we've actually enjoyed Discovery quite a bit. I didn't like season four as much. Um. But overall, I've enjoyed the show and and have gone up and down on Picard and just flat out in love with Strange New Worlds. Like, this is the Trek I want to watch. Like, it's modern, but still has some classic elements to it. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I can, I can feel the, uh, the vibrational frequency between you and Cicero aligning when you talked about Enterprise <laughs> reigniting your love of Star Trek. Uh, you guys are definitely on the same wavelength there. Well, we're very pleased to have you. We have quite an episode to talk about today. Um, but before we do that, we got a couple other things to get to, including Cicero, my friend, how are you doing and what have you been up to? I am doing well. Uh, I mean, I've been up to this thing called life, uh, trying to live it as, as best we can. I, um, I'm looking forward to, uh, Zephram Cochran shooting shooting into space so that we can find the Vulcans finally. Uh, because when I go outside right now, it smells like Canadian burnt wood. And oh, I live yeah. in Chicago. Um, oh, so, wow. yeah. So that's crazy. Um, so that's what I've been up to. I've been up to being inside because the air quality in my in my house in the Midwest is is uh hampered by the the burnt air of Halifax, Nova Scotia, <laughs> eleven hundred miles away. Oh, man. So uh yeah, so yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to the future. Uh so that that's why uh Star Trek is so important to me. Um but outside of that I'm 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 doing pretty well. Doing pretty good, well. Good. Yeah, we gotta get that weather modification net up and running so yes. that it can blow the, the smoke away from any people uh that's yeah that's unfortunate i know that that's hitting uh a lot of places in the country pretty hard so air purifiers are helpful we we had a pretty big bout of uh of wildfire smoke here in the seattle area both i think last year and the year before it wasn't nearly as hard as like new york was hit earlier this year but air purifiers certainly did assist in clearing things up in in the living space uh, just as uh, as anecdotal information, of course. Well, but thoughts are with you. you. I hope you got a, an okay air supply at the moment. Yeah, so far, uh, you know, as long right. as I don't eat any beans, I'm all right. So, <laughs> <laughs> well said. 
All right. Thank well, you. Um, <laughs> unfortunately, you know, one of the things that I think that we definitely need to touch on is heck some, yeah, man. Let's go. Some bad news in yeah. the franchise. Unfortunately. My biscuits are burnt. I think a lot of people's are. So it rather just a couple of days ago from the time we're recording this, which is Monday, June twenty sixth. Uh, word came down. I, I saw it in Variety, but it was you know picked up at a lot of other Trek specific outlets that Star Trek Prodigy has been canceled, even though its production on season two is very nearly complete. And uh, also, too, by the way, it's going to be taken off of Paramount Plus, and the completed second season is going to be shopped around to a new home. So it's sort of like what we're seeing on the Warner brothers side. David Zaslav seems a little bit more willing to license, uh, IP out to other places because it brings in money. It brings in licensing revenue. And it seems like that's what Paramount is doing here. But the real kicker I think came earlier today from the time we're recording this without warning, without a lot of fanfare prodigy is just no longer available to watch on Paramount plus. And the only, uh, episodes that have made a or that have been physically released are the first 10 so half the first season is not available to be watched in any way legally and um and i think a lot of fans are certainly up in arms about the rather cavalier and and curt and dismissive way that this show has been treated um full disclosure you know i haven't seen the whole season yet so i feel uh i just assume you know it's, it's gonna be there I, I don't i don't need to wait or i i don't i don't need to to go at it right away because it's gonna it's star trek lives on paramount plus you know what do i have to worry about so that sticks in my craw a bit on top of the idea too that i think it's just a solid show um but you know we talked on debrief when Prodigy was first announced about who exactly is this for? And apparently Nickelodeon and the powers that be at CBS have decided it is not for them, uh, which sucks really bad. Cicero, you, uh, you look like you got a flamethrower ready to go. Yeah, man. Um, so here, here's, here's what I'll say is I was carrying the torch for the, who is this for? Right. Um, you know, I was the guy. I was the person who was like, hey, this show is branded for Nickelodeon, but Nickelodeon doesn't exist, right? There's it's just on the streaming service. Here we are, right? And then I and then I watched the show and I was like, hey, I still don't know who it was marketed towards, but it's for me, right? Like I was able to answer that question by watching the show because the show is brilliant, right? And it's for me and it's for kids. Like it is for those parents that are my age, your age, Javi, right? Who have kids that are tweeners and, you know, maybe a little awkward or, or, you know, becoming young adults or are just nerdy kids, right? Like, you know, you've got nerdy parents. You're going to likelihood is you're going to be a nerdy kid. And here is a chance for you to, to be introduced to Star Trek in a way that isn't pandering to you, but is also fresh and new, not only for you, the kid, but also for the parent who, 
who has maybe grown up on Star Trek and has loved Star Trek, but has seen it all, right? And you know, outside of the stuff that's coming on on you know on Paramount Plus, this this person has a Paramount Plus subscription. This person is a Star Trek fan. This person um, has kids that are around that age, and they want to introduce them to some version of Star Trek. That's what the show was. That's what the show was about. That's who it was probably for. Um, but it real in reality, it was for all Star Trek fans. And and you know, the fact is that a lot of the Star Trek fans, a lot of the fans that that maybe watched Picard, um, you know, maybe didn't watch Disco, um, maybe heard about Lower Decks, but wasn't really on it. They came in for Picard. Uh, and then they were like, all right, well, let's see what else is there. They watch Strange New Worlds. They love Strange New Worlds. And, and you know, now they're trying to give Lower Decks a chance. And they maybe didn't give Prodigy a chance because it looked too, too cartoony. But eventually, just like Chris, they would get there because Star Trek lives on Paramount+. And I don't understand for the life of me. I do not understand how... That could be the marketing ploy, right? That Star Trek lives on 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 Paramount Plus, and this show was so offensive that they had to get just erase it from their memories. Like I, I just don't. I, I fundamentally don't understand how how both things can be true, right? Like if I want to watch Star Trek, I can watch every bit of Star Trek content ever created on Paramount Plus except for prodigy except yeah. for the the stuff that has already been produced and the stuff that is completed and yet to be released right like now i've got to go someplace else for just that one show you can't there it's impossible for me to believe that they would make more money selling the licensing for that one show to somebody else than they will lose as a result of the cavalier, the callous decision and the cavalier attitude with which they they uh, executed that decision uh, and up to and including what they did today. Um, because, you know, I'm sure that a significant number of people are going to really rethink what their, you know, their streaming decisions are, right? We're coming into a recession. I was literally just talking about how I, I'm, I have hit recession level economy, economics for myself. And so that means that I've got to start making decisions about what I'm going to, to spend my money on and what I'm going to, you know, pull back on. And if you piss me off, I may not spend money with you. Yeah. Right? Like I mean that's just that's just the bottom line and 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 especially when I feel like you you're doing things because you don't care about the customer. And it's clear that you don't care about the Star Trek customer who's the Paramount Plus that's the Paramount Plus subscriber. Right? There ain't no more, there ain't no more Halo show. You're not getting the Halo people, right? You're going to get the Big Brother people. The Big Brother people are a fair amount of Big Brother people. 
But you're not but getting stock, the grease people, right? Right, right. The grease people are gone. Yeah. Right. So, but like Star Trek is the Star Trek is this is the anchor store of this of this streaming service, right? This is this is the thing. Maybe one thing brought you in to the to the mall that is Paramount Plus, but eventually you're gonna get to the food court and the Macy's, and 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 that is Star Trek. That's Star Trek. Yeah. And you know, like, why would you say, "All right, well, you got all of this stuff, but if you want the toys and the other things that are normally in in the Macy's, you got to go across the street." You know, you got to get back in your car and leave the parking. Don't forget, we don't we don't validate the parking over there. You got to go and pay for your parking over there if you want if you want the toys. Man, screw you. Yeah, that's dumb. It sends. A troubling message about the future of Star Trek on this platform, you know? Javi, I'm not sure how much of the show you've seen, but as a fellow Superman fan, you are no stranger to being jerked around by streaming services. Right. What uh, no. what comes into your, your mind when it comes to a situation like this? I distinctly remember, I think it was Kurtzman, that a year or two ago, like, we're going to have Star Trek every week of the year. Like, we're going to have this show, and you get a show. And, like, he was Oprah Winfrey giving out <laughs> Trek shows to people. <laughs> yeah. and And we started hearing about the cutbacks. Okay, Discovery Season 5 – it's done, but now it's not done because we're canceling it. And we're going to do a couple of reshoots to give a sense of closure there. It's like, okay, well, that's that's weird. Like, It's been on for seven years. It just hasn't had seven seasons because of reasons, right? Um, so that, that was a little disconcerting when I heard that. Um, but it's like, well, we're good though, right? Picard is a huge hit. And it's coming to its natural conclusion. That's fine. We've got Strange New Worlds is looking great. Lower Decks has got another season. Everything, it's not every, you know, every week, but we're going to get a Section 31 movie now instead of a show and and this, that, and the other things. Like, it felt secure in the content that we had. And then this news dropped, and it it puzzled me. Um. And to hear when it it was announced, like, oh, it's going to be gone in days. I'm like, well, I better hurry up because I hadn't really seen it up until a few months ago. Um, you guys have talked about it. Cicero, you've championed the show and that made me want to watch. So I've been balancing like my mornings off with watching Prodigy and um, trying to finish up uh, Star Wars Rebels before Ahsoka comes out. And when I heard that news, I'm like, well, I better just focus on Prodigy because I was halfway through season one. I, I think I finished episode 10. And then now, Chris, you're saying that it's that it's nowhere and the Blu-ray only covers the ones I've seen. So it it uh yeah, it's that's it's troubling because like to the points you've all made, like this is where you're supposed to find Star Trek. And Honestly, the, the app is a little difficult to navigate. It's hard to find movies that 
you can watch that aren't already a part of another subscription that are bundled. Like if it's got that lock symbol on it, like it's irritating to go through. And I haven't started Yellowstone. I really, the only thing I watch on Paramount plus is Star Trek. And, you know, we're looking forward to once we get through a couple of things to like diving back in and finishing deep space nine. So we're just about to start season two haven't seen any of Voyager other than the four episodes I mentioned. And with seven's arc on Picard, like both of us really want to get to that show too. So the fact that I'm keeping this subscription that I paid a premium amount for to get like the 4k stream for the new shows, it's like, what, what was the point of that? Like my interest in this app has gone around tremendously. So yeah, I'm I'm really curious uh, now how much longer they're going to be holding on to to Star Trek just in general. There was some uh gentleman who works for Wells Fargo who said Paramount's got like maybe 2 years left and they're going to need to start selling off IPs uh to make things happen. So I felt confident in the Trek brand 6 months ago. And now I don't know where it's going to stand 6 months from now. Yeah, all all very valid points, and it just especially puzzling considering how I mean, you guys have both mentioned, and I mean, Star Trek is pretty much the only thing I watch on Paramount Plus too. I think that's probably true of most people who would bother to listen to this show. Uh, you know, we were we were sold a, a a bill of goods saying that this is where you can find your Star Trek, and now that promise is looking like it's starting to run dry so what does that mean is star trek potentially an asset that paramount would consider parting with fascinating question uh, way above my pay grade um but we didn't uh, land on paramount rock paramount rock <laughs> landed on us <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's just like there's no there's no beating around the bush. This is extraordinarily disconcerting news. It's a bad development for the franchise. It's a bad development for for Paramount Plus in terms of the message that this sends to how they see their subscribers. You know, like I thought Paramount liked my money, but right. I mean, this was this supposed is- to be the gateway drug. Right? right? Isn't that what he 100%. said? Like, this is, we're going to Nickelodeon, we're g- going for the kid market because we right. have to get kids into Trek. And this is how we're going to do that. So they'll stick around on Paramount Plus as they get older and watch all these other shows and get invested in the universe. That was the intent that they sold this show as. And now they're yeah. tossing it aside. So how are you going to bring in these people then when you're not committing to a Star Trek legacy? You're canceling Discovery. Section 31's a movie. Like, all we have is Lower Decks for who knows how long in Strange New Worlds, which they're both great. I enjoy them in very different ways. But um, where where is the franchise going to go if they don't have the money to spend on development? I feel like Lower Decks is reasonably safe only because – and Rachel has said this before on the show several times. It's just – it's comparatively – much much less expensive to produce just because of the mm-hmm. nature of the kind of show that it is but you know 
that doesn't necessarily mean that it is totally safe, especially since we've heard so much from not just Paramount, but several other studios that are cutting back on their investments in, in content creation because none of them have figured out how to make money in the streaming game, it seems. So I don't know. I hope that Prodigy finds a new home. I feel like Netflix would be a good candidate uh, considering you know they helped co-finance the creation of Discovery, and uh, there's a pretty sizable kid presence there. If my daughter's watching habits are to be believed, but um, still no, there, there's there's nothing good that comes out of this news. So. Where is where is the stuff on Paramount Plus being streamed overseas? I think it's some on Netflix. of it is Netflix, uh, but I don't know if all of it is. Okay. Uh, the the Trek so, shows are, but yeah, the I'm Trek sorry. shows are all on Netflix. I believe so. I, right. Although they did roll Paramount Plus out in several other countries. Let me see. Strange New Worlds. So if yeah, Here's if the there is anybody okay. listening to this yeah. that lives in a different country outside of the USA, let us know. Yeah, Paramount Plus. And it's also available as an add-on to Sky subscriptions in the UK. So they did okay. roll Paramount Plus out. Uh but, you know, if you're a Star Trek fan, I don't I don't see how anybody can look at this and not be concerned about the future of the franchise. Which is very disconcerting uh on multiple levels because as Star Trek fans, you know, we've seen we've seen this before. You know, not exactly yeah. in this way, but we've seen the franchise fall out of prominence and fall out of confidence from the people who are creating it. And it's it's hard fought to get that back. And it looked right. like I, we had it back for a while. But and uh, yeah, and and to be fair, right? And and you know, uh being pedantic with with your word choice, I don't think it's the people that are creating it that we have uh an issue with. Oh, absolutely. Or a problem yeah. with it's the people that are financing it, yes. That that are having or are finding the difficulty with allowing Trek to continue. Yeah, and um, it's not like we're complaining about you know getting something for free. We're paying for this, right? Right. right. This is yeah. the ones who set the prices. We paid the price, and right. we were promised this. And right, this is this is really this particular show is really a case study in, in what streaming is and how, you know, like what the, what the, the, the actual, uh, you know, what the streaming revenue stream should actually be and, you know, how you yeah. successfully uh, make money as a, as a streaming content service because they canceled a successful show. And actually we, I mean, we've seen that with Netflix, Netflix has canceled several, shows right. that 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 where the ratings were successful right they were critical hits critical and commercial successes but you know they decided at the end of a season or two that 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 it was just too expensive to continue and and, and they killed them um, and it seems like Zaslav really opened the door for this on the Warner Brothers side just because you know he's the one who said well we're going to license these things out well I mean, the the ideal that I think we were all promised in this era of streaming media is that we wouldn't have to guess which franchises and which shows from those franchises are going to be on which service, you know, 
And now that that assurance is gone, you know, we, with more of these providers that are licensing their material out to other services, it's like, oh, new Star Trek show. Oh, so Paramount. Oh, no, Netflix. Or, hey, it's a new Batman show, a new animated Batman show. Oh, Max. No, uh, Prime. You know, it's just it's going to be a weird guessing game right. that's just, you know, not going to affect things well. What's what's interesting, too, is, you know, the next gen and the original series both had 4K releases of their films recently. You got digital codes for those. But if you bought Disco or Lower Decks or Strange New Worlds, um, there are no digital codes for that for those episodes. So if you want to watch, yeah, if you want to watch those streaming, you need to pay for Paramount Plus. If like, say you're on the go or like if I'm at work and I want to watch Strange New Worlds to pass the time, like I just log into Paramount Plus because I can't take my 4K player with me. But, you know, this this severely limits that mobility for that. And I don't remember if it was the lag of time between Disco and Picard in one season or in between Disco seasons, but there was a period where, like, the show ended, the season ended. It was going to be a while before the next season, whatever the next Trek show was. And I was like, well, do we want to watch Twilight Zone now or wait on it? And then I just canceled the app. I canceled the subscription until Trek came back on. Also, it helped at that point that Netflix still had the rights to the the old shows. But I mean, I'm on a yearly subscription right now. But I mean, if it keeps going in this direction, I will just drop off until Trek is back on. Or I'll do like I did Discovery Season 1 stay away from the discourse until it comes out in physical media and buy it that way. Yeah. Yeah. And strange new world's got a, a 4k physical release, which is glorious, but uh, no, you're absolutely right. I did a cursory look at the availability of prodigy through uh, VOD for purchase, you know, like uh, a la carte per episode. Right. And the only ones that are available to purchase are the ones that have been released on physical media. Like the other episodes oh, are not man. available. So yeah, so yeah, so eleven through twenty are are, are just are, yeah, they're just in, in, the, in the in the space between spaces. Exactly. Um, there, there's so, a space for them on Amazon. Like you can see them, but that's because through Amazon Prime you could subscribe to Paramount to Plus. Paramount Plus right. But now it just says not available to watch. Wow. Yeah. Uh, so my my prediction is that 12 months from today we're doing, you know, we're recording uh Disco Debrief 140 something. Mm-hmm. Uh because we because we went every week and <laughs> and and, <laughs> and uh and We'll be talking about how the other Star Trek shows followed um, followed Prodigy to wherever Prodigy winds up going. Um, whether it's if it's Netflix, then you know then they're going to renew whatever type of Star Trek content uh, contract they had. Um, and there'll be a big media blitz about it, um, or it could be some other service. 
uh, and they'll do they'll do the same thing and talk about consolidating again, having you know having uh, Star Trek go there, and um, we're going to see that the Paramount Plus you know the Paramount Plus streaming service has either been renamed CBS something or you know the I. Um, or it, 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 you know, it goes, it just kind of goes away. It's going to go the way of UPN. That's what's going to happen. Oh God. Right. 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 Or the CW app, you know? Yeah. 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 So, but, but I, you know, so, I mean, there, there's still, there still is going to have to be a place where, uh, you can watch big brother and big brother, you know, the big brother live feeds, because that's a, I mean, you know, that's where they're making their money off of that, right? Yeah, the Paramount true. Plus is making significant amount of money off of that, and they're making a significant amount of money off of Star Trek fans. And they clearly have decided that those two groups alone aren't enough to sustain this service by getting rid of content that is important to one of those two groups. Yeah. Um, so the, it's it's got to go someplace. It's got to go someplace. And, the golden and, age you know, of geekery might be over, especially right. considering like, you know, the Flash stumbled and, and, and bombed mm-hmm. out of the gate, unfortunately. Right. Uh, it's people are being more select. It's, it's not an event. I don't know. It's, that's a whole other podcast right. as our buddy right. Paul yeah. might say. Um, and, and maybe it was a great generation. It, 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 it was. It, Hopefully it was it's a not whole over. Quite so we had yet. 20 years. Yeah. yeah. We had 20 years. Yeah. That's a long time. That is a that's long, a long time. time. Well, as long as they don't take my, my comics away from me, then. You know, uh, oh, oh, as they're Chris, banning you, more books had, in different parts right, of the country. You, right? had, yeah. you had to say it, huh? I did. Yeah. Knock on wood. Okay. Well, hey, you know what? That, that sucked. It sucked that this has happened to Prodigy, and we're going to keep our eyes on that. But we do have a rather exceptional episode of Star Trek to talk about. Uh, so I'm going to shift gears now for us to I, – I, I know, Cicero. It, Star it, Trek it, SVU? <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's no good way to transition to this now. So I'm just going to do it. We're going to shift gears to uh, move on to our discussion about Episode 2 of Star Trek Strange New World Season 2, Ad Astra Per Aspra. Now, one of the interesting things about the uh, – I've talked a lot in the past about uh, the episode descriptions that are posted to the Strange New Worlds Wikipedia pages that are so tight and so helpful in formulating a conversation for our purposes about it. There is a problem specific to this episode just in that relatively not that much happens. It's just mostly like in terms of plot, character work, you know, miles of stuff happens. But because the plot is relatively straightforward, uh, the episode description is very, very tight, even compared to the normal standards of that Wikipedia page. So uh, we'll go through the, the bullet points of the plot as we typically do, and we will expand on it where we can. 
So let's begin. The trial of Commander Una Chin Riley, referred to as number one for hiding her identity as a genetically modified Illyrian, breaking Starfleet's anti-genetic modification laws, approaches. Captain Pike recruits Illyrian civil rights attorney Nira Katul as her defense counsel. That's the first bullet point. A lot of stuff happens at the beginning of this episode, not the least of which being Captain Pike uh, journeying to the planet that she is on, uh, struggling to breathe there, and the environment of the waiting room even being inhospitable to, to Captain Pike's human lungs, and these this very emotional conversation that Captain Pike has with Nira about trying to convince her to come to the aid of uh, of number one. So the stakes for the episode are pretty quickly established as being far more personal than we certainly saw in the last episode. Uh, you know, the season started with some relative bombast, but how are we feeling about focusing on a more personal level considering the way that the season has started and some of the more memorable moments of the series as a whole? Javi, why don't you start us off? Uh, I really enjoyed it. I, I think there's a precedent for Trek law shows, um, you have court martial, the menagerie, obviously measure of a man. Um, William Shatner's found a whole other career as Denny Crane. So, you know, it, I like, I like a good Trek court show and, and this one fit the bill. Cause I feel like it's been a while since we've seen one. And, uh, it was, it was interesting after not having, Pike and number one in the premiere, basically of the second season, it was nice to shift gears and, and focus, even though Pike wasn't the main drive of this episode, it was nice to get to know this number one. One of the things that I love about strange new worlds is how it adds this depth to all the characters, be it legacy or otherwise, and getting to see these different facets of them who have, you know, lived on in our imaginations through comics, through books, through video games, and and actually get to see a live action version of it to establish a new canon. Um I'm I'm all here for that. I think it's it's an interesting way to go. And and to see Pike start off the episode with this non-rebreather, it's like Brooks said to me, is this like a COVID episode? Like what are we <laughs> why is he wearing a mask? Like what's going on? So it it was an intriguing start and it just it cuts right to the heart of the matter. Yeah, definitely. Cicero, how did this one start off uh in terms of your watching experience? Uh Tony 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 has done it again. Um they really they really um I'm sorry, that was a it feels good reference for those who are keeping score at home. <laughs> um this they have done an incredible job of allowing us to know this crew, right? And 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 giving, pardon the pun, but giving us the space to breathe, unlike what they gave Captain Pike at the beginning of this episode. Um, but in allowing us to see the lengths that he will go through for his crew, spoke volumes for who he was and I didn't need much more right I, I I needed that scene right where he is he is convincing someone who had great affection but could not stand Una 
um, to, to, you know, beseech her help. And then the scene that he has in the mess with his, you know, his ex lover, also the, you know, the prosecutor where, where in that scene, he's like, Hey, I need to stand up and do things and be, you know, be up in the front because I'm the hero. I'm the captain. And she's like, Hey, no, you're also an idiot. Here's why. And, you know, sit your ass down somewhere. And he sat his ass down for the rest of the episode. And that was a like, that was a choice. And that showed us more about his character, right? So, like, the fact that they're able to do this much character lifting um, in this show, again, you know, I'm going to sound like a broken record. It, it, it's, it really makes me remiss for discovery because I, th- I think that discovery has a, has a bridge crew that is equally as colorful and equally as rich as, as the crew that we've met on, on Pike's enterprise, but we know so little about them, right? right? Over four seasons um, versus, you know, two seasons or one season and two episodes of 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 these guys and I, I you know and I I I can only think that the reason is because in disco due to the nature of the show we've got to deal with the stakes we've got to deal with the big whatever the big bad is and the big bad has always got to be catastrophic right it's the same problem you're just talking about the flash it's the same problem the flash television show started to have right where they mm-hmm. you know they had to outdo the last big bad from the previous season and they just became ridiculous. Right. And it just, it just became too much for the audience to kind of believe, right? Like, yeah, I believe you're, you're great. You're, you're the flash, right? I can believe you're great. You're a disco. Um, right. And, but like, man, are you that great that you can, stop the universe from being imploded again, right? Can't somebody see you coming by the fifth time? Like, you know, like eliminate these guys. Um, uh, so yeah, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm going on a tangent about disco. I love disco. I wish disco could take some of what strange new worlds does so brilliantly and add it to, to what they're doing. Um, but alas, it's too late. And you know, but but at least we have strange new worlds and the 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 paramount grim reaper has already struck for, for yes right right um well uh you know the allegories at play here are are pretty obvious but very much in line with the spirit of a lot of the franchise's lineage uh javi you mentioned some of that lineage before uh here themes of racism and persecution are discussed from the very beginning in terms of setting up those discussions, I think one of the things that I'm really curious about your gentleman's perspectives on is uh, the nature of the way these themes are being portrayed, you know, where you have uh, the subject of the persecution being portrayed by a white actress. The attorney is played by a performer of color, um, but there is uh I feel like the story goes out of its way to try and illustrate a semblance of shared struggle, but I don't think you can help but relate it to the real world concerns that the episode is very much trying to talk about. Uh, Cicero, how did that come together for you? 
um, while you were watching it? You know, I kept it in universe. I mean, I, I mean, it's blatantly obvious, right? Like what the what is you know, the the allegories that they're that they're trying to draw. Um, but I, I I kept it in universe because to to take it out of universe doesn't do anything for me, right? Because I'm on the stand all the time, right? And and I've. I've I've watched it all be adjudicated and it never works out how it does you know at the end of the third act or when it does it happens so infrequently but the expectation for those that grant that justice is is that well that should be enough right aren't you happy now here it is right so we don't have to keep doing this again do we right so I'm just like eh for for it to be an allegory or, or a teachable moment for me is like, eh, you know, I don't really need that teachable moment. It's cool to watch. It's, it's cool to, to, it's, it's more cool for me to watch them pull the allegory from the real world into Star Trek and make it make sense within Canon. than it is for me to, to do the, to do that, that math in reverse. If that makes sense, right? Like it, it doesn't give me more in in my real world dealings. Let me put it a different way to you. Okay. Um, did the ideas at play at least here at the beginning when the right. conversation between Nira and Pike did they feel like they had a degree of authenticity to them? Oh yes, right. Yeah. So they they absolutely felt authentic, right? And they and they and it was. It was because, right, like the 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 rationale for why the Federation has done what they've done, why they've outlawed the augments, um, was perfectly stated within the episode and 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 displayed within the episode um, with respect to, uh, you know, this terrible thing happened in the past, and as a result, we're scared that it's going to happen again, and. But what we're doing is overtly racist. You know, the, the 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 law that we've created is overtly racist, and and we all know that it's overtly racist. So now we must we must deal with like the repercussions of of our of our bigotry that we've codified. Um, and and they do a great job of talking about it within. Within the room, um, with with uh, uh, Pike and uh, I forget the the lawyer's name. Nero. Um, yeah, okay, yeah, uh, but yeah, Yatiti uh, Badaka is uh, Badaki is is her is the actor's name. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah, she was in American Gods. She was awesome in that. Um, she was also in Rise, uh, which is the Giannis Antetokounmpo oh. story. She played she played his mom. Oh, that's cool. Uh, I didn't know. So, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, but but nonetheless, she like all of that was was done really well. Like, uh, you know, that conversation that that her and Pike have, like, and and the fact that Pike knows about kind of you know knows about the history between uh, her and Una, mm-hmm. and and he was able to play off of all of that. Like, all of that stuff was great. Like this man, the show does it. It does it, and it does it well. Great. 
Javi, how about you? How did the, uh, the, the themes as they were set up come together in, in these first few minutes? Um, really well. It, it sets the stage for being one of those allegorical episodes that, that Trek is known for. And, you know, one of the things that I both like and kind of dread about this show is that we know where half the cast is going to be in 10 years on the enterprise. Um, so it's, it's a matter for the other characters that we know, but we don't know what's going to happen to them. Um, it's like getting attached to them in these 12 episodes. It's like, okay, but they're not going to be there. Like, when are they going to take Una off the show? Like, is this how they're going to write her off the enterprise? Like by having her go to jail. So there's, there's that, that element of Canon where it's like, you can expect that Uhura is going to make it through the end of the show. However long it runs, Spock is going to be there, but uh, Laon and even like Dr. Mbenga, like he's the chief medical officer, but like, when does he leave for bones? You know, and we've, we've got the other ones that we've seen also. Um, was it Piper in where no man has gone before? Yes. I forget who the, yeah. So it's like, like you get attached to these people and you get worried about how much longer am I going to get to enjoy their performances on the show? Um, but I, I appreciate, you know, Trek when it, when it does this and the message ultimately that I took is, you know, talk, like listen to what other people have to say, because that's what a lot of this episode comes down to is listening to other people's struggles and just taking a breath and, you know, looking at it from their perspective, having empathy um, is really important. And this episode got that message across to me really well without feeling like I was being preached to, which is what everyone always says they want, right? They, they want to be entertained and not preached to. But I, I appreciate when a good Trek can kind of slide that in there and you feel a little bit better having watched it. Yeah. Excellent. Yep. Very well said. Well, let's, uh, let's move along with the plot. So the prosecution easily builds a case that number one violated the law. Catul argues that the law is unjust and inconsistently applied and points out that Admiral Robert April has violated the prime directive when he believed it was the right thing to do. La'an Nunian Singh, meanwhile, attempts to discover how Starfleet learned that number one is genetically modified, worried that the information was taken from her own personal logs. So again, you know, this is moving over quite a lot of stuff that happens on a, on a character by character basis. Um, the moments where uh, Admiral April is being cross-examined by, by Nira in particular uh, made me a little uncomfortable just because, you know, even, even if uh, we're really getting our best look probably ever at Robert April in this show, that's a name I've had in my head as like a, a beacon of greatness even well before we had, back when he was just a picture of Gene Roddenberry in the Star Trek encyclopedia. You know? It's like Robert <laughs> April was he was the prototype, you know. Um, but I have to admit, yeah, I felt uneasy about what seemed to be an attempt to impeach the character of Robert April. 
What did you make of the the sort of novel strategy employed by Nira in terms? I mean, obviously things come together later, but in the moment, uh, were you as flabbergasted as the characters, Javi? Um, a friend of mine brought up to me that, and he doesn't watch a lot of Trek, but just how we've seen reaction, especially of like the CBS All Access era Trek, how everyone's insubordinate. No one follows the rules. Everyone does their own thing. Um, but from my point of view, like that's, that's all Captain Kirk ever did, you know, is, is break the rules for the good of the many, right? So to see Robert April on the stand, like, well, this is the rule, but you did this instead to help these people. Like that, that just seems par for the course to me. Like it didn't, it, I didn't take it as an indictment. Like this is what a, a captain should do is use their discretion um, for other people. And, you know, the prime directive be damned if it's, you know, going to save a life. I mean, that's kind of like the crux of the beginning of Star Trek into darkness with the, the people with the volcano and the ice at the beginning. So I, I just thought it like, this is the precedent. That's how I looked at it. This is the precedent for what Pike does, what, how Spock hijacks the enterprise whenever he feels the need to, and, (laughs) you know, for, for Kirk being Kirk, like it, it all started with Robert April. So I didn't, I didn't see it necessarily as a bad thing. I just, I just saw it as precedent, which precedent is very important when you're talking about law and law shows. And Star Trek. And Star Trek. <laughs> uh, how about just in terms of your reaction when you saw that it's Una's attorney that is doing this? Because it seemed like the reaction of the characters, certainly, and Una herself, as we found out, was like, how is this helping me? Did you uh, did you have a, a similar reaction, or were you just kind of along for the ride, letting it, letting, seeing how it played out? I was just along a for the ride at that point. Um, like I, I saw where they were coming from, and and how they saw, you know, that she was attacking him because they know her biases. But you know, with with my bias, it's like he's going to be fine. Yeah, you know, this sure. isn't anything new for the crew. This is just a, a Thursday for the Enterprise. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> yeah. Cicero, how about you? Uh, the the novel legal approach of Nira in attempting to uh, portray Admiral April, I guess, is something of a hypocrite. Well, she's just a simple Illyrian lawyer. <laughs> she's not like one of those fancy Federation lawyers. Um, and... Uh, she, I mean, look, it, stroke of brilliance, right? Like this was exactly what was supposed to happen. I love a great courtroom drama. I love when, you know, when, when like my nerddom streams can, can cross this way. Uh, so, I mean, I was sitting there with metaphorical popcorn. I wish I had actual popcorn. Um, it would have been, it would have been great uh, to just watch watch all of that stuff happen. And I was, I was surprised that it was happening. Oh, I'm sorry, that, I don't mean to cut you way. off, but are you a yeah. courtroom drama fan anyway? When I watch them, yes. Okay. I don't right. necessarily watch courtroom shows, right? Like I don't, like I would probably watch Boston Legal because I hear that Shatner is, you know, Denny Crane is, 
is like a character that must be seen. Um, yes. And uh, like, I, I'll watch those, but, but like the last like courtroom drama that I probably even entertained as a show was LA law. So that's okay. That's going, that's going back a ways. Um, uh, this was a show on television people uh, for the young (laughs) ones. Um, so, uh, but the the young ones today don't even know. (laughs) Right. right, right, Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I did. I did watch a lot of that though. Watched a lot of WAPNA. Um, but not coming soon to but, Paramount Plus. That's for sure. Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> right. Um, but but so yeah, like I I was loving where everything was going. I, you know, at, for for a moment, I thought maybe uh, when it where uh, Nira and Una have that conversation in back in her cell or whatever it was. Um, after that moment. I really wasn't sure if she was trying to sandbag Una for the sake of all Illyrians, um, or or if this was some grand scheme, some some plot to to save her client. Um, it, you know, all of it was still kind of really unknown to me, and I was just I was along for the ride and and loving it all, and was taking all the twists and turns. I was I was marking out. I was exactly putty in their hands right excellent great well uh we got a few cross examinations outside of uh admiral april i keep wanting to say captain april but admiral april uh you know we got to see spock uh a few times we got to see uh laon a couple of others uh what did you guys make of just the the setup um, and the ex- the explanations of Una's character from the perspectives of these other members of the crew. Did anything stick out to you in terms of just things you picked up or things that you enjoyed about those scenes in particular, Cicero? Um, one, uh, you know, just piggybacking off of last week, Dr. Mbenga is – that's a cool Mickey Ficky, man. That cat <laughs> – that cat, he he earns he earns to be called a cat. Like you know, yeah, that you know he's he's a, he's a slick dude. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so I, I I really dig anytime he's on screen. Um, I am also if I'm if I'm digging things, I'm also digging this like the embrace the embracing of human Spock. Um, that and the way that Ethan Peck is playing this character. Um, that allows him to really embrace his humanity um, in ways that, like, it was shunned in TOS, right? right. Like, they, there was there was uh, mostly by bones, but there was quite a bit of xenophobia on on you know on the original on on TOS uh, towards you know specifically towards Spock amongst the crew and and. And him being different from the from the rest of them, um, but the fact that like, we, and a lot of time we've spent our time celebrating his Vulcanness. Um, it is time that we are able to celebrate some of his humanity, and I think the way that they've decided to embrace that side of his his heritage. Uh, in this show 
has really has really done a is has done a good job of like making him a more well-rounded character overall and 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 making Ethan Peck's performance of this character that we know so well distinct mm-hmm. um you know uh, that the scene in the mess hall was Mbenga and and Leon uh Leon and uh and he walks over and he's and he just says, "Yes, I'm, I apologize for my outbursts. <laughs> this uh, of my father's friends he brings out the worst of me. Yeah. And, and and like uh, what? Just so well done. Um, the subtle way that he um, praised praised um, Una, knowing that his testimony." Because everyone sees him as as a Vulcan, uh, and that Vulcans don't lie, that his phrasing um, was was going to ha- hold uh, significant weight, and that his human side also recognized that and was you know and was uh, acknowledging that to not only to us but also to to his commanding officer. Um, I also want to call out something that didn't happen in the courtroom, but happened on the bridge of the Enterprise, and that is Laan talking to or commanding, um, commanding yes. to 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 break Starfleet protocol, and Uhura standing up to her, um, and right, like it was, it, it really, it felt like resurgence to me, right? Oh, it felt okay. like. It felt like a moment that would be in the Star Trek game uh, resurgence, where here is your commanding officer giving you a choice, and you could be loyal to the commanding officer by by granting granting their wish, but you're running the risk of of putting both them and yourself in in jeopardy for a good cause. Um. Or you could stand up to them and live up to the ideals that they have, you know, that they have uh, instilled in you, and were were instilled in them by their mentor that they are trying to aid right now. And you could remind them of that. Um, and you know, and and I felt like at the end of that that conversation, right, like that. That the, the Leon Leon bubble came up and was like, yeah, Leon will remember this, yeah. <laughs> and, and you know, and and then Leon walked away, and and Ohura uh, went and sat back down to to her desk. But I but I I love those interactions. I love the fact that you know we've we have been conditioned, um, like it. The I think Javi was right on both on both counts, right? That the 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 it the admiral april cross examination perfectly articulated the precedent that captain april had set for anybody who who is the captain of the enterprise like uh eh, <laughs> prime directive shrine directive right like we we do what we want right we we know what's best um but i think i think he's also right in the observation that his friend said that that newer trek is a lot more insubordinate than older trek was um that you know outside of uh uh Spock stealing the enterprise whenever he felt it was necessary most of the guys you know most of the time everyone 
stayed within, you know, stayed played within the lines, provided something great wasn't happening. Um, but but newer Trek, I think they they play outside the lines, right? They they kind of like, eh. There's the spirit of the law and the letter of the law, and you know, and we're playing we're playing with the spirit of the law all the time around here, and we'll you know we'll beg for forgiveness instead of asking for permission, you know, until we die. And um, it, so in that sense, you were conditioned to believe that Laan would ask Uhura to do this highly illegal thing, and Uhura would be like, "Sure thing, I'm on it," you know. And and she didn't, and that was that was really cool. And of course, obviously, narratively, it turned out that they didn't need it anyway. So they would have broken the law for nothing, and that's why they they said, you know, don't worry about breaking the law. But but it was it was good to see that actually played out in that way on on the you know on the bridge and in the show. That's why we love Ahura. One of the many reasons. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Javi, in terms of uh, you know character interplay that kind of stuck out to you uh, during this part of the episode anything you wanted to share uh definitely the outburst scene with spock i i love that scene so much uh and cicero just eloquently stated that for us but i also appreciated uh when spock was on the stand and gave his testimony referring back to the short trek with gilbert and sullivan and Um, speaking to, to Spock's humanity, the eyebrow that he raised as he looked at Una, like that, that was him cracking a joke, you know, the way that he told it and the way that Peck performed it like that, that was the Spock that I, that I loved to see. Like he was just straight faced. And then that was the punchline was the eyebrow. Um, (laughs) And I, I loved Laon's predicament through the whole thing uh, as well. Yeah. And the guilt that she carried because she thought it was her and, and how that fed in with her own guilt of who she was, which I'm still not a hundred percent clear on. Um, I mean, it's been said, you know, that she's a descendant of Khan, but what allows her to be in Starfleet, but not an Illyrian like, is it because it's 200 years ago? So, like, her modifications, her augments have, you know, they've her through parents and children, like, it's become less and less over the generations? Or why is it okay for La'an and not for number one? Like, I don't mm-hmm. think they've really expressed it or really given us much insight into La'an and how augmented she really is you know if she is stronger than you know the average human or taryn yeah yeah and i i thought it was uh it presented another side of potential conflict in her because her lineage is something that she does seem to have some personal issues with and it seemed like captain battelle the prosecuting attorney tried to uh, bring those out in the open. And I'm not sure if that was just to establish her credibility or lack thereof, but uh, you know, Lon certainly maneuvered that in a way that I thought was, was elegant. And, uh, and I think you're right. We do have a lot of unanswered 
uh, questions that I think this episode consciously raised in terms of her augmented status. I'd be very interested to see how that plays out, if it plays out, of course. Um, but the scene but, with uh, her and Mira in Una's quarters, like that, yeah, that that just brought up a whole whole bunch of stuff and feelings and and how she was embarrassed and ashamed of that side of herself and and giving just the power of someone else telling her that everyone has that potential, mm-hmm. you know, but it's up to you on whether or not you become that, you know, that it's not, it's the whole nature versus nurture thing. And I, I yeah. just thought it was a brilliant way to bring that up and weave it into this narrative. And, and the way that Nira tried to almost sort of reassure her because she has lived with the reality of being an Illyrian for mm-hmm. her entire life uh, and has been a part of a, of a culture that is seen as less, at least in the eyes of Federation law. So trying to empathize to a degree with what Laon might be experiencing I think that does open up a potential path for Laon herself to maybe explore her roots a little bit deeper. And I think that just in terms of creative runway, a lot of Star Trek fans would probably find that a pretty fascinating journey to to go on with her. Uh, because, you know, learning more about what the lineage of Khan how it progressed after he disappeared on the botany Bay might be kind of a fun little continuity wrinkle to explore while also saying something worthwhile about the characters. So we'll see, presuming they have confidence in star Trek still, we'll see what happens (laughs) over the next couple of years. Uh, Well, moving along with the plot, number one testifies about the oppression and marginalization genetically modified Illyrians faced in her childhood and explains that she joined Starfleet because she believed it celebrated diversity and reveals that she provided her own genetic status to Starfleet. Uh, So that's one sentence that packed so much of this (laughs) plot uh, because not only was uh, the delivery of Rebecca Romaine uh, in explaining like everything that Starfleet means to Una, exceptional, but also too, I mean, we got a lot of uh, a backstory about Una's childhood in these moments. We got insight into her philosophies about serving uh, both in the Federation at large and specifically on the Enterprise, and then we also got a, a look at her. Uh, her personal constitution because of how she revealed that she was the one who effectively turned herself in. And of course this leads to the uh, rather excellent legal maneuvering that we see Nira uh, bring home. I guess uh, my only real question is how successful is the delivery of the primary theme of the episode in these rather decisive moments? Because I don't know about you guys, but for me, this was probably the most emotional part of the watching experience. And um, I was very dialed in to the way that the story was playing out and the way that the characters, uh, you know, gave information about, you know, all of these bottled up feelings about the oppressiveness that Illyrians are facing 
in conflict with, you know, the, the very nature of what Federation society is supposed to do. Um, but how did these moments all, all come together for you, Cicero? Uh, I mean, they, they, they came together. I mean, I was, I was the target audience for all of this stuff. They, it worked. Uh, uh, Rebecca Romaine did a, a fantastic job of, of, inhabiting this character and and really um giving a voice to the voiceless and 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 making a persuasive argument for why it was important for the group of people i mean so for for on on one hand right like the 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 testimony was great but like on the other hand personally right like the i think the argument that was that was uh, set up by by Nira and and you know in her opening argument was was the most sound one right like hey we've as a society right as a as a law by law uh, um, abiding and law creating government have made all sorts of decisions that we thought were wise at the at the time but were were in, incredibly prejudicial. Um, and, and, you know, as, as a result of really taking the time to understand them and understand the, the, the impetus for, for its, for their creation, we, we realized that, well, you know, maybe we made a mistake and we need to rectify those mistakes. And it was like the establishment of who the Illyrians were, who they are and, and, you know, full knowledge of their, of their stories and, and, you know, and then the understanding of, of the fact that Una was augmented prior to her birth, right? So she had no choice in in what she's done, and and the fact that she served with distinction, and without giving any indication that her augments have done anything to to upset the balance of the you know of of the work that they've done, or she's presented herself as as uh, harmful to anyone. Um, should have been enough to say, "Hey, you know what? Maybe we need to rethink the laws that we that we have on the books, and and that it as a result, it's not it's not right for us to adjudicate the uh, the legality of of uh, her nature." Um, the, the, to me, that should have been enough. But considering that it wasn't right, considering that that the argument is made and it's sound right off the bat that they still go back to, well, the law's on the book. So we've got to just, all we've got to do is sit around with the law. Um, you know, I, I think that they did a great job of establishing everything that needed to be established so that we could get to the third act and um, present all of the, all of the stuff as, as a, as a way out. So the authenticity then did carry forward for you. Oh, yeah, the yeah, entire, yeah, yeah. 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 Okay. Excellent. Yeah. Javi, Sorry, have, that's oh, the answer to your question. No, 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 that's all, all good. I, I, I always enjoy going on the the, the journey, Cicero. That's all. It's all good. Uh, Javi, how about you? How does this come together for you in these moments? Um, really, really well. Um, I've had like my own, you know, personal journey with Trek over the last, I don't know, six or seven years where it's been that beacon that we aspire to and then looked around at our society and been like, Oh no, Star Trek is BS. Like we're never going to get there. And then 
going back to finding the optimism in it. And I've seen like a lot of, of discourse of like what it should be and what Star Trek shouldn't be. And, um, it's just my own reflections on it. Like Gene Roddenberry was in a very specific place when he made the original series, uh, where we have that cowboy diplomacy. And it's been said by many, many others that he was older, hopefully a little wiser when he made next gen. And that's where we saw like a more evolved version of humanity where they didn't fight with each other. Um, and both of those can be true. Like I would hope as a species, we're better as a society today than we were 200 years ago, even though we still have a lot of the same problems. But I, I would hope that every you know day we inch just a little bit further. Um, so for me, like looking at this episode, like the 23rd century was kind of like the Wild West. And you know, by the 24th century and the 25th, you would think we're a little more refined. So seeing a federation that isn't perfect, um, but it's trying to be like that really hit home for me in this episode. Um, and that they acknowledged it. Like we're not perfect as an organization, but that there was honor in striving for that perfection, even if it's something that's unattainable and always trying to reach it. Um, and that's what really gave me hope at the end of this episode, not, not just for like this fictional universe, but I mean, for us as, as people that will find our way back through whatever trials we have right now and hopefully reach for the better for everyone. Yeah. So it, the, at the end of the episode worked extremely well for me on that level, especially it, yeah, the laws didn't change, but Uno was able to, to get out of her predicament and, and her attorney was able to like her, her closing line of, you know, I see a crew that proudly serves under an Illyrian. And like, that's the thing that's going to give her the hope to keep on striving for better and to let go of, you know, some of her viewpoints that she had about Starfleet. Like there's a lot of work to be done at the end of this episode but everyone's willing to put in that work and the way they tied it in with the theme. Uh, I just thought it was brilliantly done. Very well said. Yeah. A more perfect union. Where have I heard that before? <laughs> Not here. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, th I think that you, you, you do speak to certainly the, the intention of the episode and uh, the, the chord that Star Trek does manage to uniquely strike among so many of the, of the devoted members of the fan base. I think the, the three of us are certainly included among that group. And it's always nice when part of the franchise, particularly uh, a chief part of the franchise can demonstrate that it is going to observe those ideas and ideals and, uh, and try to show us potentially a, a better path through the prism of science fiction and, uh, and the power of allegory. So thank you for sharing that always much, much appreciated. Um, well, in the final moment here in the final moment of the plot, uh, Ketul agree argues that number one can be construed to have been seeking asylum from oppression when she joined Starfleet. 
The judges accept this interpretation and acquits number one. Uh, again, this is factually true. That is what the episode <laughs> did at the end of the day, but it's not giving a lot of service to uh, to certainly the emotional power or uh, how Spock's favorite friend of his father's tried to mess up <laughs> everything at the 11th hour before the legal loophole swept in and uh, and, and actually worked in their favor. Um, but, the, you know, this one... We, we talked about the, the courtroom drama lineage of, of Star Trek, and that is something that I think is worth keeping in mind uh, for those of us uh, who are friends and fans of Trek's expertise. Uh, they had a pretty cool and unique opportunity to speak with Valerie Weiss, who is the director of this episode. Uh, Kyle was kind enough to give me a, a look ahead at their conversation, and she talked about uh, at the beginning of their conversation about the the not only courtroom dramas in general, but the way that they have been portrayed in Star Trek. This is a hell of an example to add to that lineage. You know, I think you put it up there with Measure of a Man. I think it, uh, even though I love Court Martial to death, I think this episode easily surpasses uh, Court Martial. Um, and, uh, you know, we saw I, one of the things I, me- I neglected to mention last time and Javi, you mentioned it at the beginning of this episode is Menagerie, which did depict a court martial, but it was not a real court martial is the only little caveat with that. But, um, you know, we talked last season about the different sort of individual episodic genres that Strange New Worlds has been really hitting it out of the park on, you know, we had the ship transformed into a fantasy world. We had an asteroid episode, you know, and now we've got the courtroom. We we had an aliens episode. We had an aliens episode. It's, it's really doing a good job of advancing kind of what we expect from this franchise in terms of individual episodic exploitations, but it's doing it with a modern lens and it is doing it with, uh, an, a, just an extraordinary abundance of care and it recognizes the power that good Star Trek writing can have not just in terms of storytelling but in terms of of, uh, of broader thematic commentary you know so this was uh, an excellent episode for me those are probably my thoughts as best as I can uh, bring them in Cicero what are your final thoughts on uh, on ad astra per aspera, it it was it was brilliant. It was uh, it was an excellent um, it, it was an an excellent excellent uh, uh, example of what Star Trek could be, um, and it, it's remarkable that we were able to talk about this episode. And and our great loss uh, in in one episode in one podcast episode. Um, so that's that's interesting. I have a question before we go forward. We'll get Javi's thoughts on on the episode, but I do have a question for you guys um, before we get to uh, you know what we get to after that. Okay. All right. Well, Javi, please. What are your final thoughts on this episode? I I really loved it. I mean, this is. And this is why I'm why I'm here on this voyage. Uh, when Measure of a Man came out, I was in sixth grade, and I've long heard it 
talked about as being like this pinnacle of of next gen and TV in general. And at 11 years old, I didn't necessarily understand that. And going back and watching a few years ago, like I appreciated what it what it did. Um, but this one, like out the gate, just had me invested in 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 all of it, and all the different facets, and all the the camera work and the performances and even like just seeing that, that modern lens that you talked about and seeing like those dress uniforms, um, you know, once again, but you know, in the, the new Trek style, uh, I mean, just, I had a lot of fun last week, uh, with that episode and this was fun too, but in a more like serious way, like I got a, a great level of enjoyment out of it. And, uh, I don't know what else to say. I mean, it's it's going to be one of those excellent episodes of Trek, and it may just be my recency bias, but like this is probably my favorite courtroom Trek episode right now. That's but it's it's in good company too. I, so I think it's going to be one of the ones that you know gets mentioned when they when people make their top ten lists, you know, for this show. That this is going to be one of the ones that gets brought up. Yeah. Yeah. It uh, it goes the distance. Measure of a man's out there saying, you can't go the distance with me. And <laughs> comes at it. I'm sorry. I just actually watched Rocky for the first time the other day. So the, the original one? Yeah. We, 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 we've gone through the first two because. Wow. You think you know uh, a like, guy. Well, right. <laughs> <laughs> Look, right. I'm ashamed. I'm ashamed to admit it, but it, it's, it's true. Like, uh, cause I've wanted to watch Creed, but I, I kept feeling like I can't watch Creed unless I watch Rocky. Yeah. So, you uh, definitely get an appreciation. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's weird how Rocky two is like Rocky squared, you know, that yes. was kind of what I got from yes. but, totally derailing things anyway. It, so yeah. Apollo Creed was measure of a man. And then Rocky was at Astra per Aspera in that an- brief analogy that I just badly cobbled <laughs> together. Um, well uh thank you gentlemen uh cicero before we go to our outro what is your your question so my question is my question is this based on uh, on the conversations that we've had about paramount plus and and um you know our our fear for the franchise what if they did some consolidating what if we, we we're losing discovery at the end of the season what if we lost everything but Strange New Worlds, and they gave us 20 episodes of Strange New Worlds. Would that be would that be okay with with you? Would you would you be willing to sacrifice lower decks and and you know, well, Prodigy is is who knows, is in limbo, but lower decks and the Section 31 movie and anything else that was coming, legacy, um, for for just strange new worlds. For like a like a twenty-six episode season like in the old Yeah, day. yeah, but it wouldn't be twenty-six because twenty-six would just be way too, prohibitively too expensive. Sure. But yeah. if we could get if we could get twenty episodes um, where they could break it up 10 and 10, mm-hmm. um, you know, we could do 10 in the spring, 10 in the fall. 
uh, would you would you sign on for that? I don't know. I honestly don't know. Just because I feel like the promise of this era of the franchise has been uh, a more diverse approach to the storytelling, you know, in terms of like right. a variety of different kinds of stories, different characters, different situations, different showrunners, you know, different different sets of eyes and different different minds telling different kinds of stories in this wide canvas. It would be a hell of a sacrifice. Strange New Worlds is good enough that it almost covers that. And we have seen quite a lot of uh, narrative diversity, I think, in this show specifically. Right. But that's a tough pill to swallow. You know, if we um, were effectively down to one ongoing series and arguably it was the best one, but still like compared to a year ago, like the franchise is in a very different place. So I, it would be tough. It would be tough. Although it's never a bad proposition to get more strange new worlds. Although would the show be as good if they had to double their output? That part. Um, That's a lot of different things to weigh. What do you think? Yeah. What do you think? Five, six years ago, like, I would have been for like a 22, 24 episode season. Like I thought like, why would I not want more of the show that I love? Um, And then looking back at it now, um, my perspective is, has totally changed both from the fact that there's just so much content, other content out there to consume that I can't even stay on top of just in the television landscape, let alone trying to read books or comics or, you know, talk about these things with friends and peers. Um, and I've gotten to the belief that, that more necessarily isn't better as much as I love, you know, the 50 minute runtime of a toss episode and that we had 26 episode seasons. Like there's a lot, the ratio of like hits and misses is, is like an interesting one. Like how many mediocre episodes do you have to get through before you get to those gems? Um, and I feel like with these shorter seasons, like the artists are able to produce their best work. They get to trim some of the fat and, you know, really get into some good storytelling. And for the casting crew, uh, it allows them to do other projects and not feel burnt out. I mean, if, if you've listened to like inside of you or not inside of you Talkville with Michael Rosenbaum and, and Tom Welling talking about making Smallville, like those were grueling <laughs> days um, for those actors and to where Rosenbaum can even do the whole 10 years that Smallville went on for. Um, so as much as personally, I would like to see 20 episodes of this show. I think it's for the betterment of, all those working on it and for as an audience to just keep it smaller and more compact and, and get those quality shows and less of the weird one-offs that just kind of feel like, why did I waste an hour of this when I could have been doing X, Y, or Z? Um, and, and to Chris's point too, like I, I really like how there's the diversity of the different Star Trek shows right now where you, where you, Okay, maybe Picard isn't your jam, but you can watch Lower Decks or you can discover Disco 
like I liked bringing in the different audiences and and having everyone have their trek and expanding what could be done because I thought that was the whole the whole point of this endeavor was to reach out and maybe everything wasn't going to hit for everyone, but someone would find their niche and embrace it and, you know, become a Trekkie that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I would That's stick with question, it, but yeah, yeah, but I don't, I don't yeah. necessarily think it would be for the best. I mean, if you yeah. think about it too, like, I don't know why I'm looking at my watch for this. <laughs> like we should have had the Kelvin Star Trek four this month. That was the plan at one point. Right. And right. instead we we're starting that. season yeah. two of strange new worlds. And you know what? I, I don't care about having a Star Trek movie anymore. Like I really don't like we're getting a theatrical looking show. It's even in the same aspect ratio with top notch yeah. visual effects. The volume has expanded what they can do in terms of going to strange new worlds that I mean, it's scratching that itch for me to where I'm I'm not minding watching a Star Trek television show. Like, because what am I going to go see in the movie? I'm sure it'll look great being big and projected, but like I'm getting basically a mini Star Trek movie, you know, every few weeks. Every week. Yeah. yeah. In, in 4K, you know, and, you know, good surround sound. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. Oh, well, well said. Well, you know, we're going to, we're going to have to revisit the state of Star Trek. I think maybe on the other side of, uh, of lower decks forthcoming season finishing up. Um, there's, there's a lot to potentially wrap our heads around when it comes to the future of the franchise, considering recent events. But before we dismiss, let's, uh, let, let's do our regular exercise in pedantry. So, from the fine editors over at Wikipedia, or Wikipedia, Memory Alpha, um, there are a few notes here. Some of these we've talked about, but not all of them. So, Admiral Zuss Tlagel is introduced as the Starfleet Tribunal's Space Command representative, a position first mentioned in TOS's court martial, while Commodore Shiv is introduced as Starfleet Commander a position first mentioned in Star Trek three, the search for Spock. So we're getting some, uh, some decent continuity with the chain of command there. The relief in the courtroom depicts members of various 23rd century Federation members, including the founding members an Andorian, a human, a Tellarite and a Vulcan, as well as other species, species such as a Tiberonian from TOS's the way to Eden, Betelgeusean, a Rondorite, a Saurian, a Zaranite from Star Trek, the motion picture, Acadian and an Adosian from Star Trek, the animated series and an Osnolus from Star Trek discovery. So we're getting quite a lot of uh, 23rd century Federation species. Uh, didn't see any Ferengi in there. Uh, profit motive, <laughs> but you know, who's, who's keeping track uh, while on the stand Spock mentions meeting Unichin Riley for the first time and discovering her love of Gilbert and Sullivan as depicted in the short treks Q and a episode. And finally, it's revealed that four months have passed between the events of Ghosts of Illyria and Equality of Mercy, and two months have passed since the events of Equality of Mercy 2. 
at Astra Paraspera. So not an, uh, an abundance of notes in the continuity section of Memory Alpha, but some fun ones nonetheless. So, uh, Javi, thank you so much for joining us. Please tell people where they can find more of you and your work. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Javi True, J-A-V-I-T-R-U, or Up to Speed 5. Uh, as you mentioned at the top of the show, I am a senior contributor for Batman on Film. Uh, I cover reviews for Batman, The Brave and the Bold, uh, Batman, The Adventures Continue Season 3, and Catwoman currently. I also do, I'm a contributor at the jamesbonddossier.com where I'm reviewing the 007 comic by Philip Kennedy Johnson, which uh, is an amazing read right now with the current volume. And I have my own YouTube channel that I just started a few months ago called The Flash Up to Speed with Wally West, where I am starting with issue one and every episode just break down another issue and kind of revisit some comics that I've realized I haven't really read in a really long time, uh, you know, before we get to like the Mark Wade stuff. But, um, you know, outside of Batman, the Wally West Flash has become like my, my favorite character. So... Uh, it's been a long time coming. I've thought about it for about four years and I finally pulled the trigger and uh, just talking about something that I love. So, and uh, one of those things that I love is, is Star Trek though. And I'm just want to express my thanks to you and Cicero for having me on today to talk about one of the, the my favorite parts of fandom. Oh, so well, thank you guys so much for having me. Of course. Yeah. Happy to have you. And I'm sure that this is not going to be the last time that we have you. So, uh, you know, keep your, keep your hailing frequencies open, so to speak. And, uh, and I'm sure we'll, we'll make it happen again. Cicero, any parting words before we dismiss here? Uh, you know what, uh, what I will say is something that, that Javi, um, mentioned in, in our discussion. And that's, uh, sometimes you look at, you look at Star Trek and you have a but an abundance of hope, and then you turn on the news or wherever you happen to get your news from, and that hope uh, disappears, and you and you feel like we'll never get to that Star Trek future. Um, but the the way that we do that is through us, right? And and uh, you know definitely um, Star Trek. I've I've always been an optimistic person, and, and you know I'll I'll I'll, I'll End my plug by by plugging something that also uh, that I watched this week, which was a an interview with President Obama by uh, Hassan Minaj. Um, it was like thirty minutes. You can find it on YouTube. It, it just got posted in the last week or so. Um, but the the president says that he is a, he, you know he is the hope and change guy because he's an optimist, and you know, and I think you know that comes from Star Trek, right? And that that we've got to. We've got to be, we've got to be the change that we want to see in the world. And despite, despite the dumpster fire, despite the fact that there is a literal fire smoke in the air, right? Um, we've, we've got to continue to show people, uh, just like this episode, that we have to strive to be better and strive to be our best selves at all times and, 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 and be hyper focused and aware that, uh, you know, that if we're not being our best selves to, to endeavor to be our better selves whenever we can. 
And if we if we can do that, then other people will follow our leads. And that is how we'll, we'll get to um, the, the future that we see in Star Trek. Well said, as as always, more perfect, you might say. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you for sharing, my friend. But that is going to do it for episode number 97 of Discovery Debrief. We hope you enjoyed the show. And if you did, please like and follow us on our social media channels. And if you'd be so kind, we'd also appreciate it if you wrote a review for the show wherever you found it. It only takes a minute and let us know you wrote one and we'll be happy to read your review on the air when it's posted. If you have any questions, you can follow the show on Twitter at DSC Debrief and feel free to send us questions through Twitter or by emailing us at hailingfrequencies at discoverydebrief.com. Please be sure to set your courses for this feed for future episodes and be sure to join us next time as we discuss yet another adventure in the fabled legacy of the name Enterprise. As always, though, until we meet again, please... Go boldly, my friends. Yeah.